Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Potcotter, and you're listening to Call Talk for January 23rd, 2019. Today's topic is changing the way collection agencies are viewed by being ridiculously nice. If you are listening live, we invite you to be part of the show and ask questions. Here's how you do it. Email me at calltalk at benchmarkportal.com. I want to remind everyone that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at benchmarkportal.com any time of the day. And now I would like to introduce the host of the show, Bruce Belfiore. Thank you, Alan, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. At Call Talk, we have focused on inbound centers traditionally, but we do interesting four-ways from time to time into the world of outbound centers. And today, today's episode is an interesting one focused on outbound collections. Now, the collections industry can be tough, both because of the work involved and because of the reputation it has among the public at large. However, The function these centers perform is absolutely essential to the economy and to the economic health of thousands of companies and government entities. It's totally clear that we have to have collections agencies. It is less clear how those agencies should operate and be ethical and successful and avoid the negative stereotype that goes with the industry. Our guest today has years of experience in collections and has spent many of those years changing the way collections agencies are viewed, as he says, by being ridiculously nice. Ken Lingretz, CEO of AmeriCollect, who will explain how he is changing the way collection agencies are viewed by being ridiculously nice to consumers, is our guest today. He'll explain how they have data to back up the claim that nice actually does collect more money. And he will share how he engages millennials, as well as the rest of his workforce, with the mission of changing the way collections agencies are viewed. So, Kenlin, this is a great topic, very timely, I think will be very interesting to our listeners, and welcome to Call Talk. Well, thank you, Bruce. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I really want to commend Benchmark Portal. Um, uh, When I met you in April at the PACE conference, just learning about all you do for our industry in the uh, contact center world. We really appreciate that. And uh, uh, I'm excited to, to work more with Benchmark Portal and learn more and, and, and share what we're doing here also. So thank you very much. Okay, that's great. Yes, and it was, it was great to meet you at the PACE conference. And one of the nice things about the PACE conference is that it brings together uh, those managers and owners who are trying to do things the right way in the contact center industry. And so, uh, yeah, it was great to meet you as well. Well, Kenlin, you know, I think you have more experience in collections than anyone I've ever interviewed on Call Talk. And I imagine you've pretty much seen it all over the years. And this has led you to your uh, innovative, ridiculously nice collections concept. Now, our listeners, as you know, are mainly contact center managers. So tell us, how did that come about? Well, Bruce, um, you know, I've always taken a sales approach to collecting. 
uh, you know, offering options to consumers uh, such as uh, different payment amounts and due dates, things like that. But building rapport and minimizing confrontation, that was my style as a collector. And this has always built goodwill with the customer. It wasn't until, I think, 2008 that I trademarked ridiculously nice collections. Um, the history behind that is a, a sales employee bought a new client on. They listed accounts with their office for collections. And within a few days, that new client called our salesperson to report a complaint from the patient. The patient had called that office and, and complained about our staff. They described our collector as being you know, rude and disrespectful. And so the sales employee was also new to AmeriCollect, and he called me right away. Um, I explained that we always treat customers with respect and that we're ridiculously nice. And I said, that's why we have call recording, that I'll be sending that recording to the, to, to the creditor's office, the hospital, uh, without even listening to it. You know, I was that confident. Um, I was confident in my team. Uh, I didn't need to listen to the call. Within a few hours of that hospital receiving the recording, the client called back to our salesperson and said, not only was the collector not rude or disrespectful, they were nice and not just nice, ridiculously nice. And so that's how the tagline started is that, you know, and honestly, people in our organization are hired and fired over being ridiculously nice. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is, that's a great story. I mean, what is the best, uh, indication that you're fulfilling what you say you're going to do, which is the client telling you that you've actually over-fulfilled the expectation. So uh, that's, that's a great story. So, you know, we're, we're going to be really interested to figure out and find out how you do that. Um, and you say that you hire and fire over being nice. Uh, t- tell us how you go about selecting nice people to carry out this change, because that can't be a, an easy thing to do. <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's not always easy. You know, ridiculously nice has become a way of life for us. Um, but as you know, job applicants, you know, they're sometimes the best actors during an interview. But what we look at is any sign, even the slightest sign that they are not nice puts a red flag up for us in my mind. Um, we've used many tools over the years. One of them is engaging the front office who greets the potential candidate, asking them to grade the person how they are in the waiting room before the interview. How do they interact with them? Another what we've done is we've asked candidates to wait in their lunchroom, which is right off of the foyer, um, and, and, and we stage an employee who is undercover. <laughs> uh, Interesting. Okay. So the front office person is already part of your interview team, and the staged employee who's undercover is also part of your interview team. You really have sort of an RIA there, right? A recruiting intelligence agency <laughs> that's helping out with uh, that whole process. I don't think we actually have a department called RIA, but uh, that sounds pretty <laughs> funny, actually. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so it, yeah, that undercover employee, they'll make, if in the lunchroom, they'll make eye contact with the candidate like they want to talk and then see if the candidate initiates conversation. Um, and, and in general, seeing how many times the candidate laughs or smiles during the interview. So we use those kinds of tools to figure out who's really nice or are they just acting. You know, and, and well, another thing that we do is oh, – go on. No, I was just going to say this is a, a very different approach. I think this would be interesting to uh, our listeners to, to hear this because uh, I think that's, that's very innovative. I haven't heard of anyone else who uh, has uh, sort of a uh, almost a door-to-door interview process. I mean, as soon as you walk in the door, you're already part of the process. 
and uh, you enlist, as you say, you don't have a separate department, but you enlist your colleagues because they are, after all, uh, going to be able to indicate whether this uh, candidate is going to be successful and fit the culture that you're trying to uh, to create here. So uh, I think that's noteworthy. Yeah, please go on. Yeah. And even even the coworker that escorts that potential candidate back to the interview room will have a check base, a touch base with them, saying how did it go? Were they engaging? Um, what did they What did they look like? So. Um, another thing that I personally do is we make red, uh, red carpet calls to candidates. Now, these are candidates who have accepted the position, but their start date may be a few days out or weeks out. We do this as a retention process, but, but also mm-hmm. to find out whether the hiring process is working. You know, did we follow up timely? Did we communicate the steps clearly to them? Did we, did we use the communication channels that works best for them, whether it's you know, email, text, phone call, um, and then I ask if they have any fears. This is probably the most important thing. I lay it out that it's not an easy job. Um, I can usually get a good feeling if they're not going to be nice under pressure on the job. I'd rather they not even start and try to give them a hint that it may not be a good fit. Um, our trainers are given instruction to keep an eye on new hires who display, um, who don't necessarily display a ridiculously nice tone or action or word. So those two things that, you know, the red carpet call, the trainers knowing that someone is maybe not as nice as we think, these candidates we try to weed out kind of quickly. Um, we simply can't take the risk of run, ruining our brand and our mission of changing the way collection agencies are viewed. Um, that's, that's so important to us. Yeah, no, this is very innovative. And, uh, of course, uh, some of our listeners may be thinking, well, uh, a lot has to do with your employment basin and also how competitive it is and how quickly you have to fill seats and everything. Uh, but what you're saying is it really is worth taking the extra time, uh, taking the, going the extra mile to, to get the right people in the seats because uh, it just probably takes up so much more of your time to have to fix the problem afterwards. Um, I can uh, let our listeners know that you're based in Wisconsin, and therefore you have Midwest nice going for you, right? <laughs> so that helps out too. We we do have really nice, genuine, hardworking people here in the Midwest. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. Well, as I say, this is very innovative. Well, let's look at the other side. I mean, how do you fire over it? Uh, have you ever had a a top performer, for example, who wasn't ridiculously nice, and and you had to fire over that? You know, to, to be honest, that's the most disappointing thing. Um, but we have to look at our bigger mission in mind. Um, behavior and attitude is contagious. Uh, if we allow one employee to stick around, that, that you're going to pollute the entire culture of ridiculously nice. And, and when mm-hmm. someone like this gets through an extensive hiring and training process with a negative outcome, honestly, we failed. Um, what mm-hmm. I What I really feel bad about is that about 78% of our new hires leave a job to come work here. Um, if we don't take our selection process seriously and we have to terminate, we're really upsetting their life too. And, and, and so we're the gatekeepers in keeping the value of Ridiculously Nice alive. And many of our employees join us with no prior experience in the collection industry. So we have an opportunity to shape them as collectors, which, which helps. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great that you feel that sense of responsibility, too, because so many companies don't. They uh, basically are burn-and-churn type of places uh, if it's a high-pressure area. And uh, what they're really trying to do is, uh, you know, have the job itself 
weed out uh, those people who can't take it and, uh, you know, just have a survival of the fittest type of attitude toward it. But in your case, you're really trying to, uh, you know, select for the right characteristics right from the start, let people know what they're in for so that they don't make the wrong decision, and, um, you know, uh, just have a sense of how you are impacting their lives as well. So hats off to you for that. I mean, I think you're to be commended. Um, and, and let me just ask you this. What do you think – is there anything you wanted to, to say on, on what I just said? Because then I'll go on to my next question if uh, if not. No, I appreciate the, the compliments. I do. Just, yeah, no, excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and when you talk about the value of ridiculously nice, just tell tell us about the value uh, that comes from ridiculously nice culture and well, behavior. You know, the, the value is a, 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 of, of a culture and value of changing the way a collection or an industry is is. is is really important. You know, intellections, you know, many, many people at other agencies claim they treat consumers with, with dignity and respect. You hear those words as far as their branding, but oftentimes they don't trust the consumer. And, and so we train our employees to see that people who owe money are really good people. Uh, they're just simply struggling. You know, um, I, one of the questions I asked during the training is I asked how many of you have ever financially struggled? And it puts them in a place to realize that these are normal people that we're calling, um, and that's important. We train them about the, pers- uh, the personas of the average person in debt. They're not bad people. Mm-hmm. They're good people. And in medical debt, which is we only do medical debt, so we only represent physicians and hospitals. So in medical debt, the, the consumer doesn't choose to go to the doctor. It's not like they're out there buying a new couch or taking a vacation. It's that they need to go to the doctor. And I always remind our employees that consumers are just like your next-door neighbor, a friend, or a brother or sister. That You see, the value in being nice is, is that the consumer is more willing to engage in a productive conversation with you. That's the value, is that if you're nice to them, they'll talk with you. The hardest part, the real hard part is that Consumers, as soon as they hear the word collection agency, think we are the same as other collection agencies that maybe have treated them poorly in the past. So at times, the consumer mistreats our team. They, they, they're not very nice to our coworkers. Um, that's until they understand who we are and how we do business. And, and ultimately, the proof is in the pudding, right? Consumers share real problems they are having with our collectors that care. And we have data that shows that ridiculously nice dialogue actually collects more money than not being nice. Mm. Well, I think that's a very good thing. In other words, uh, creating a relationship is more important than simply having a transaction, right? And uh, if you can actually uh, sort of establish that relationship and make the uh, party on the other side understand that, the agent can actually put themselves in their shoes. And when you ask that question uh, during training, okay, how many of you have ever struggled with uh, finances? Uh, That's a great way of making the agent uh, aware of and hopefully uh, more sensitive to the situation of the people on the other side of the line. And the people on the other side are going to feel that. They're going to perceive that. And uh, at that point, they're going to be more apt to want to deal with you than with somebody else who's calling them up and dunning them for something else. And therefore, uh, you'll have established a relationship and actually improved the transaction. So you'll have done both. Is that what you find? Yeah, that's exactly what we find. And so I I explained to my staff this. Just because they're a non-payer today 
doesn't mean that they're going to be a non-payer six months from now. So if you're on the phone with a consumer who owes money and you make them feel bad about it, they're not going to take your call six months, an outbound phone call six months or three months from now. And the reality is if, if a consumer has no money today, they're not going to magically have money tomorrow or the day after or a week after. It's going to take them a period of time to get back on their feet. Um, and so building that relationship, being ridiculously nice, one of the things that we train our staff to say is it sounds like you're struggling right now, but that you're honest about paying the bill, and if you had the money, you would. Is that right? And, and what that does is it builds that consumer's self-esteem about being trustworthy and, and, and paying that bill in the future. So, but I'll tell you, being nice, we have, we have the data that shows that it actually collects more money. Mm. It makes sense. I mean, because as you say, most people want to see themselves and portray themselves as basically honest people who want to do the right thing. Uh, there's obviously going to be some people who don't fit that category, but uh, most people are in that category. And if you can tie, you know, tie into that uh, side of the person on the other end of the phone, then you're going to get a better result than if you just, uh, you know, sort of uh, done them and, uh, you know, pursue them in a, in, a, in a different way. So it makes a lot of sense to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. And one of the things you talk about is data. What kind of data comes into the mix here uh, when you're, you're talking about these things, Kenlin? So uh, we, um, we installed a speech analytics tool um, called Miners the Brand uh, probably about five years ago. And that basically converts the calls from speech to text. And I'm sure people within our industry understand what a speech analytics tool is. And, and, and from there, we run queries. Many of them are focused on compliance. But about four years ago, we created our own ridiculously nice score uh, that has proven that the nicer you are, that the more money you collect. We also know that the more money collectors bring in, the more they enjoy their jobs. I mean, they get paid a percent on commission. So, but they also feel like they're helping the person out by getting them to pay their bills. Each and every collector can see the scores that are updated on a daily basis. So it's a little bit of a gamification. What's my score at today? Did I do better than yesterday? You know, I'm proud to say that you know, Cole Miner, my team, has won a few awards with their work that they've done with speech analytics um, and this ridiculously nice business model. It's, it's been, and it's, it's fun to show our healthcare providers saying, here's a collector that has a lower score and here's what they generate in revenue. And here's the collector that has a higher ridiculously nice score and see how they out collect the other person. And when we show our potential clients, our clients that data, they really feel like this is the right thing to do for healthcare. Uh, but I don't think it matters whether it's healthcare or any industry. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. Have you guys done a uh, case study on that by any chance? No, we we we, we haven't. Where what you're talking about is a sort of a head-to-head competition with another collection agency. No, actually, just uh, maybe something where you compare folks in your own shop just to make it easier. Uh, well, in terms of doing a case study or before and after something like that, I don't know. We can talk about take this offline, but uh, I'm I'm fascinated by this and would uh, like to see if there could be a, uh, a an, an, you know an innovative case study that could come out of it. Yeah, I, uh, that would be interesting. I'd take you up on that. Okay, well, good. But now, let me ask you to, um, from your point of view, having really worked this field for so many years. Uh, has it been ch- hard to change the stereotype of a collection agency? Yeah, no doubt. And 
and, and maybe even when I started in this business in 88, I'd kind of played into myself. Somebody would say, oh, you're working as a debt collector. I'm like, oh, Guido kind of, a, and I'd fall into it myself. And I realized after a few years that it's like, we're not Guido. We're not at all. And these people don't deserve Guido. And, and you know what I really love about the millennial workforce is that, that they want to be part of a bigger change and, 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 and that they're proud of working at a place like AmeriCollect. And so when we bring new coworkers in, we ask them to help us in changing the way collection agencies are viewed. It's part of our why statement and that they're part of something bigger than themselves and then it creates a purpose for them. We even coach our team how to respond when they're asked, what do you do for a living? Instead of saying, I work for a collection agency, which almost always leads to negative stereotypes that are easy to fall into, we empower our employees to say, you know, I work for a company that helps consumers understand their medical bills and responsibilities. And insurance and medical bills can be overwhelming, and I'm, I'm trained to offer an explanation, support, and a resolution. We help people understand uh, how to stay accountable to their medical bills. And, you know, that, that that's important that patients understand their accountability. Mm, wow. Yeah, that redefines things, doesn't it? The way you just described it. You know, I work for a company that helps consumers understand their medical bills and responsibilities. So it, it kind of redefines uh, what most people think of as a collections agency. And if you're redefining it when you're at a cocktail party, you're also redefining it in the mind of the person who's doing it, and you're redefining it for the customer, ultimately, as well as for the client. So that's great. I mean, that sounds really, really interesting. Um, and well, tell me, too, how has Ridiculously Nice had a side effect or a major impact on your culture in general? Well, I'll say this. Initially, the Ridiculously Nice in 2008 was really about the dialogue. And we've evolved it into, hey, you got to be nice to everybody. And that means your husband, your wife, your coworker in a different department. And so we, it's really changed. You know, we hire for values and it, it, of being ridiculously nice. And it builds upon a foundation for our success. Um, it's not just a culture of being nice to consumers. I mean, we treat everyone, coworkers, clients, consumers, even regulators, uh, with, with utmost respect and, and courtesy. We had a... a an auditor from the uh, the state of Wisconsin in here for three days, and uh, he was camped out here checking our books over, checking our processes and our policies. And uh, he was a new auditor, so we never we never I, I met the person one time. Well, we gave him we gave him a little jar. We can't give him gifts, but we gave him a jar that had uh, riddles and puns and jokes on it. And we we gave it to him and said, Hey, whenever you're uh, having a, a moment of I need a little bit of a jolt. And he would pull out he would pull out a joke or something like that, and then when I would pop in the office and say, "Hey, do you got any good jokes?" and he was telling me about how his twelve year old son loves riddles and jokes and and so we gave him the whole you know it was just a, a little jar of, of of individual jokes, but you know trying to to be ridiculously nice to everyone going above and beyond man that's that is our culture that's who we are, but ultimately, the dialogue is what drove that part of our culture as it is today. That's great. That's a great story about the regulators. You know, they they need some love too, right? <laughs> Just a little. And uh, yeah, and you know, they oftentimes get the cold shoulder when they come into a place. And if uh, instead you're more of an open book and you're more welcoming and you treat them with respect, uh, then they'll understand you better. So that's uh, that's a great story and uh, you know, a great approach. Great approach. 
Yeah. Hey, you know, I, I, I would really encourage your listeners to take a 360-degree view of their management jobs. You know, you need to think of how it feels to be a customer on the other end of the line. And, and you need to think about how it feels to be the, the frontline agent also. I think that's so important. You need to think about how it feels to be a regulator. And, and in short, if, if you can put yourself in the shoes of everyone who's a stakeholder or an actor in your collections environment, you can do your job better and you'll end up you know, nicer and a more effective person. And, and you know what? When you do those kinds of things, really getting into the, the feel of it, um, uh, and you've got to do that consistently, like every having a routine pattern of, of that patient experience, um, of, of managing that and having improvements and measuring it. Mm. Mm. Well, these are, are great uh, insights, Kelly Kenlin. Really, you've uh, thought about this, and you've actually been able to put it into practice, and then you've able to see what the results are, and you've been able to modify based on the results. Uh, Again, hats off to you. This is really um, a very innovative and uh, interesting approach that I'm glad you've been able to share with our listeners uh, here. And we're getting toward the end of the uh, the time here, but Alan has a couple of questions. Uh, Alan? Yes, we got the first question from Tom. He asks, how do you best instill pride in outbound agents? How do you best pride. instill pride in outbound agents? Great question. Uh, one we've sort yeah. of touched on, but I'm sure you can add more, Kenlin. Well, I guess when I think about so one of the things that we do, we have a monthly meeting, all staff meeting, and whenever a coworker has a ridiculously nice experience with a consumer, they tag that account, and then we have a quality department that then compiles those and we take maybe 20 or so a month and we display them at our monthly meeting. Um, and that's a sense of pride for them. We also take, if you go to our website, americollect.com, um, I'm not sure which tab it's on, but we, we post, we, we, we clean them up and make sure there's no PHI. Uh, and we post them out there. Um, uh, some of the things that I personally do, if I see someone doing a great job, we have the emergency contact information of our coworkers, like maybe their husband or their wife. I'll send a nice letter to them with uh, with an outline of what happened and why they do such a great job. We also do a lot of internal awards, too. Um, you know, people are proud of what they do. and It's not just about the money they collect. So we have a, what's called a Marilyn King Award. Marilyn was a coworker of mine. She's been retired for about 10 years or so. And when she retired, I created an award because she really she, – when she retired – she had this little box of handwritten notes that she got from consumers over the years that thanked her for helping her through a payment plan to get their credit straightened out. That little box she gave to me when she retired. She wanted to take it with her, but I'm like, it's got consumers' names on it. You can't take it with you. And so we have an award. We have an award for, for that. And it means a lot that, that – so we, we, we put effort and time so that they can be proud of what they do to, to change the way collection agencies are viewed, and we acknowledge that. I think that's a good question for, from Tom. That's great. First time I've heard the phrase, you can't take it with you, used in that context, Kenlin. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, that's great. Well, you know, uh, just to kind of take what you've done in a very specific context and done so well, uh, you know, the things that I've seen, too, that connect particularly with uh, millennials are if you're able to do things in a new way, in an innovative way, and in a way that has positive impact, 
then you can help to instill pride in your people. So for all of our listeners, you can think of in your context, how does that work? Kenlin has really uh, given us a great, uh, you know, some great thoughts into how he's been able to apply it in his context. So I'd encourage all of our listeners to say, okay, in my context, in my center, what does that mean? Using things that are new, innovative, and have positive impact, those are things that will definitely build pride. Okay, I think we've got time for maybe one more question. Alan, do you have uh, one more question there? Yes, we got one from Jared. He says, do you survey people you call for satisfaction? Uh, Jared, Jared, Jared. Uh, good question. Uh, uh, I would love to, but you need to talk to my compliance officer. So in the world that I collect in, we're regulated by the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and the consumer lawyers of uh, around the United States will find any, any, anything we do possibly to be harassing to a consumer. So, uh, you know, so we, we haven't done it. I'd like to do it. I would love for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to rewrite the rules uh, to say that it's okay for us to, to do some feedback. Um, and, and so we, we haven't done it. I, I would love to. Um, I would love to to be able to say, here's a sampling of accounts. And we kick it around the table every once in a while. Um, mm -hmm. But um, to date, I've not been able to get my compliance department to move on it. Um, they would right. construe it as harassment. That a, uh, so, so there's something called third-party disclosure, disclosing to another party that someone owes money, right? So I've got that issue. Um, and then the other part would be you're calling them back to or transferring them to another party, there's just a lot of loopholes that it's it's kind of sad that we 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 feel that we can't. I've I brought it up with other collection agencies, and they're like, I wouldn't go there. So, but mm -hmm. I'd love to. I'd love to. It's interesting uh, the things that you talked about. I know that a number of years ago, but I think it was it was even before the Consumer Protection uh, Board was in place. Uh, we did a study, and we understood. I mean, right from the start, uh, you say to yourself, "Okay, how are you going to have people who you're calling up and trying to collect money from?" satisfied, right? I mean, it's not like uh, calling an inbound customer or service center and getting the right answer to your question. So people in general are going to be uh, less satisfied, particularly if they don't have the approach that you have, Kenlin, in terms of being ridiculously nice. And so the uh, the thought here was, uh, and, and the questions we asked were a bit different from the questions we asked in a normal customer satisfaction survey. Uh, but it was before some of these extra layers of, um, you know, bureaucracy and, and regulation came into to being. So it'd be interesting yeah. to uh, explore that and see if there is a possibility and to actually convince the authorities that, um, you know what, it might be a nice idea to uh, create a mechanism that works smoothly and inexpensively for that kind of uh, uh, surveying. And B, uh, that actually might create some competition in the industry um, to have people who are nicer, and that ultimately would fulfill the uh, the uh, objectives that the Consumer Protection Agency wants to do in the first place. So, interesting question, interesting answer, uh, Kenlin. Uh, with that, I think we're we're at the uh, the bottom of the hour, and so we we're, we're going to have to end. I'm really sorry we do because this has been great. 
Kenlin, is there anything that you'd like to add before we uh, before we hand things over to Alan and, and sign off? No, I'm just a, just a thank you, and we appreciate it, and um, I'm excited to continue to change the way how collection agencies are viewed. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, and uh, uh, really got a lot out of this session. So, Alan, over to you. Thanks again to Kenlin and to Bruce Belfiore for your insightful discussions on today's show. Be sure to join us next month on another great show or look at our huge selection of archive shows and topics at BenchmarkPortals.com. Then click on Call Talk where you'll find over eight seasons of this show. From all of us at Benchmark Portal, keep your headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Alan Pockotter signing out. Have a great day.